underneath the cloudless sky. Praise God, I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh yes, I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply for I am dwelling in Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight, angels descending bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love, this is my story. Long ago, long ago, I settled it 
appreciate all the musicians and the specials and just all of you that have come out all these nights. It's been a blessing to see y'all. Um, I'm going to review a little bit here what we've been talking about this week. Uh, yeah, let's see here. We're talking primarily, the focus has been primarily the Christians, talking about being prepared to stand before God one day at the judgment seat of Christ. And that is... Uh, Really, according to the Bible, it's a terrifying, it's going to be a terrifying encounter. Paul said, uh, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And uh, I'll tell you what, I hope that maybe something you've gotten out of this series of messages uh, might give you a little more ammunition or a little more information that you might be a little prepared from this point forward. I know God desperately desires us to be prepared when we stand before him one day. 
Uh, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. It'll be quite a while before we get there, but might as well get started. So, in order to prepare for the judgment seat of Christ, I've got these magnets. I think they've been up there just about all week. Uh, those three works, Revelation 4.1.1 and words. And uh, we know from Revelation 4.11, I won't quote it again, but basically that verse says that God created us everything, everybody and everything, in order to get pleasure from those things that he's created. So that gives us the meaning of life. But also in that one verse, it tells us uh, how some of the ways we can bring him that pleasure that he created us to bring him. And uh, that's to do with glorifying him. Okay, that's one of the main ways that he gets pleasure from his creation when we glorify him. And then Jesus Christ said in John 15, he said, herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Okay, three verses before that, he says, uh, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Okay, and then he says after that, he says, for without me, you can do nothing. And that's something to think about because, you know, truth be told, you can do things without him. But what he's saying is, you can't do anything without him that matters. Okay, if you know your Bible, that's the meaning there. For without me, you can do nothing. You know, and that's part of our problem is we are out there doing what we think are good things, but we're not doing them with him. And in his eyes, they're nothing. So we need to be careful of that. Um, the idea, if we're going to be prepared, is to get out there, bear them some fruit. That's really a picture of, of us getting out there and doing those works, that green magnet up there. Getting out there and doing some works for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all throughout our Bible. It says in Ephesians uh, 2.10 that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath performed before ordained that we should walk in them. It's, it, God's ordained it that you actually walk in these works. Uh, Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, said that if we would purge ourselves from some things, that we could be vessels unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. That's what he wants. He's, he's the one that's going to prepare you to do the works. That's about us being available, stepping out in faith, and allowing him to do those things through us. Um, the next chapter in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, that he said that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. God wants you to get out there and do those works. It's a, it's a New Testament thing. It's got nothing to do with your salvation. Well, it doesn't affect got nothing to do with you becoming saved, but you should be out there desiring to do these good works for him because you are saved. Amen. It's kind of uh, one of the ways we vindicate or validate the death of our saviors on the cross, right? Getting out there and doing those works. He also gives us his grace. The Bible says that God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. This is a New Testament thing, us getting out there, bearing fruit through doing these good works. 
Matter of fact, it says, uh, Christ said this in John 12. He said, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, uh, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And that's a picture of you and I uh, reckoning ourselves dead to sin. As a matter of fact, the verses that follow that, John 12, 24, talk about, you know, if you lose your life, if you hang on to that life, you're going to lose it. But if you hate the life that you have in this world, then you're going to gain eternal life, something like that. And it's all about us dying to self. Um, We talked about, uh, especially in conjunction with clay, we talked about the fact that uh, we must allow God to sanctify us if we're going to be used to our fullest potential. And what I did is I showed you the eight stages that a potter puts clay through. Because you take raw clay out of the ground and you can't hardly use it for anything. But if you put it through the eight stages that a potter processes clay, you can turn it into all kinds of wonderful vessels and all kinds of other things as well. Man is no different. Man was made out of clay, and the analogy there is the processing is almost identical, step by step. The fact that you and I have to be partakers of God's divine nature, allow him to sanctify us so that we can actually be those vessels unto honor that he created us to be. That's the sanctification process. And it's eight stages, and it has to do with those words. Primarily those words, uh, reading those words, memorizing those words, studying those words, meditating on those words. And once we are strengthened by those words, then we are empowered to go out there and in the Lord Jesus Christ, allow him to do those works through us, being doers of the word and not hearers only. Uh, We talked about from the very offset, uh, all this has to do with us being a good servant. And we mentioned the acronym for servanthood. And of course, it started with those words, needing to satiate ourselves with the words of God, soaking in those words, satisfying the hunger of that new man inside of every child of God, satisfying that, that hunger for those words of God. Those are nourishment to our spirit. Uh, we talked about the E in the word servant and how that stands for eradicating ourselves, eradicating ourselves from the power of the flesh and the power of this world, and then taking that even a step further and repudiating that world and repudiating that flesh, making a strong, formal pronouncement against it. And we talked about the, uh, we skipped over the V, we talked about the A, talking about accommodating others, being sensitive to the needs of other people. Amen. Isn't that what servanthood's all about? Amen. Us willing to adjust our plans because we see a, a brother or sister in need or just a lost soul, someone in need. Amen, then navigating our course by allowing God to uh, plot our course for us every day, spending time with him and his words and navigating that course. Not only finding the right course, but then plotting it aforehand before you actually go out there and do it. And then, of course, uh, the E stood, or the, uh, the T stood, stood for tolerate. Being tolerant of others, recognizing that uh, spiritual growth is a lot like making pottery. It's a process. Okay, when you're shaping on something on the potter's wheel, uh, some, some lumps of clay take longer than others. Uh, some vessels just take longer to create. Some vessels the master potter is going to struggle with a little bit more than others. We need to be tolerant of others, okay, not compromising. Make that clear. Do not compromise your core beliefs, 
but have some compassion, a little bit of tolerance. And then we said the V in the middle of that word servant is, stands for vindicate or validate, and that's to vindicate the Savior's death on the cross. And by doing those things, being that servant, that, that justifies what God went through for us. Amen. Amen. Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Well, we talked about uh, bringing this home to vessels. We also talked about it as a vessel of clay that you and I, although we tend to proclaim our goodness, the truth of the matter is we are not really good, really can't be good without the Lord Jesus Christ, but we can be faithful. And so we talked about FAT and the fact that faithful really can be broken down into faithful, available, and teachable. And then as a vessel of clay, there's a couple other attributes, not just available, but clean and empty. And those are so necessary if we are going to be an effective, efficient servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are effective, if we are efficient, then there's a good chance, as long as we're doing these good works with the pure motive of charity, God's divine nature of charity, we'll stand before him one day at that judgment seat of Christ, and he will be able to give us rewards in the the form of crowns. We'll see those works that he did through us, and they'll come through that fire as silver and gold and precious stones. And that'll please him not only now, but then as well. What he doesn't want is for us to be up there naked and ashamed. As a matter of fact, the end of the sanctification process that begins in um, 2 Peter chapter 1 down in verse 4, verse 8 there says, if these things be in you and abound, talking about God's divine nature of faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity, if those things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that brings us up to speed. That's kind of what we've covered this week. Uh, And I I noticed Brother Ethy didn't uh, go into the servant thing, so I thought I'd cover that. He's doing a good job, brother. And you know what? If you haven't learned anything about your Bible reading, do you notice how things, principles are, are, are talked about over and over and over again? Especially if you're reading Proverbs every day. Right. You're getting the same stuff in all these different... Cha- That's one of the ways human beings learn, by repetition, right? Contrast, repetition, a few other things, memorization. Um, so, it's good to, to repeat these things. And I'll tell you this, if you haven't realized it already, I, I know most of you know this, Everything I say up here is really simple. It's really basic, and it's really plain. And if you've been in this church for, for more than a couple years, or if you've been in here for a couple years or more, I'll bet I haven't said one thing that's new to you. I might have said it a little different way, but it's all the same principles. It's about reading your Bible, looking for things to do for the Lord, you know, praying, just all this different stuff. It's just basic. Well... If you thought my messages were basic, then tonight is going to be even more basic. Because this is really going to be a simple message. And I'm going to start it off with a little story. And um, then we'll pray and we'll get into the message. So I want to tell you about this uh, man. He was a merchant back in, uh, I'm going to say, the late 1890s, early 1900s. He had spent most of his life uh, building a business. And he'd put his, uh, his whole life into that business. And because he did... He, uh, he didn't want to just sell it or close it down as he was getting older. He thought he'd turn this business over to one of his two sons. His dilemma was, which one of these two sons am I going to turn this business over to? And so he devised a little test. He said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He took the two sons in front of him and said, I'm going to give each of you a 
gold coin. And I want you to take that gold coin and go into town, and I want you to purchase something with the object of bringing that something back to our estate and filling up the entire house that we live in with whatever it is that you purchased. Now, I don't know the value of a gold coin, but back in 1890, thereabouts, probably a significant value. I know the older son, right away, he knew something that was fairly inexpensive, yet very bulky, and thereby would probably fill up the entire estate that they lived in. And so he went and uh, he went into the town there, and he commissioned, uh, or he actually purchased several wagon loads of hay, okay? He had those wagon loads uh, brought out to the property. I don't think they actually uh, unloaded them or anything, but the father calculated that there was enough hay there to probably fill every room in their mansion to a depth of three or four feet. So he did a pretty good job with that one golden coin. Well, the younger son, he, uh, I don't know if he prayed about it or not, but he came up with a very unique idea, at least, you know, I don't know if it was better, but it was unique. He went into the marketplace and he purchased boxes and boxes of candles and then a bunch of candlesticks as well. And he took those candlesticks and candles back to the mansion. He actually brought them into each and every room, put a candle on a candlestick in every room, and once they were all in place, he went around lighting them. And I think you know where I'm going. He filled every inch of that estate, first floor and second floor, with light. And that's what I want to preach about tonight, light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, boy, it's been a great week for for us, and I just thank you, Lord, for working out things where we could be here this week and minister at this church. I thank you for all the souls that have been faithful to come out to as many meetings as they could, Lord, and especially for those that have come out tonight, Lord, I pray you'd bless them in a special way for their attendance and their attention. Lord, I ask as always that you do the preaching and teaching and you help me to say only those things that are understandable, only those things that are right, only those things that are pleasing to you, Father. I also ask, Lord, that, um, that uh, you'd ask these that have gathered here tonight to call out for your grace, maybe to just uh, examine their hearts, examine their lives, their spiritual walk with you, Lord, to see if they're anything that uh, they're holding back from you, something they might need to give up, something they might need to change, something they might need to do longer or shorter or whatever it may be, Lord. But I pray you give them the strength to ask for your grace to expose the truth of their, their lives and their hearts, Lord. Give them some help and minister to them as only you can. And we ask this all not only for us, Lord, that we might have the abundant life that you want us to have, Lord, but we want for you to be blessed, for you to be pleased, for you to be glorified. So we lift up the prayer of, of the saints here tonight in the name of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So what I'm making up here, candlesticks. And uh, one of the things you'll notice about them, just like every piece of pottery, is they're all different. And uh, candlestick is a great picture for you and I uh, of our ministry, something we put our candle on, Okay. But look at, I mean, there's different sizes of candles. So we got different candlesticks. Um, this is a kind of an unusual one here. I'll talk about this in a minute. Uh, this is a different one here. Let's see what we got here. Put this one here. Well, eh, I kind of like this here, but you know what? 
I got this special candle that is travels around with us and in a hot trailer. It just every time I take it out, it's a different shape. So I now it's a good match for that one, though, right? So, I mean, uh, what else we got here? This is kind of an old-fashioned-y kind of thing. That might be a little high. We'll push it down there. <laughs> anyway, different candlesticks for different things. Let me tell you, I'm going to make a couple more here. And this next one I want you to pay attention to. When potters make a vessel on the wheel, uh, I've mentioned this already, the, first, the hardest thing they do is, is center the clay. And that's where you get it in a kind of a, a mound shape. So the potter takes that clay, he centers it kind of a shape like this on the potter's wheel, and then he drops a hole in it, and that hole is in the center, and that, that hole, if you're very still, you know, okay, becomes perfectly round. There's a cross-section, if you can follow that. So, all right, starts to open it up by picking, putting his hand in the center. So I'm going to make a pot up here for a purpose, and instead of dropping the hole in the center like I normally do, I'm going to drop it over here to the side, okay? So what I'm going to end up with is, is a little mound of clay here in the center and a big mound of clay on the end, and you'll see that in a second. It's just different than anything I've made so far. It's actually the way this piece here was made, but I'm going to make it to demonstrate something. Okay, well, we're talking about light. Now, the Bible has lots to say about light. It's from the very third verse in our Bible, first chapter, third verse, all the way to the last chapter of our Bible. That Bible talks about light, 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 light. And we know we think of light as being different from darkness, and we think of light as being good and darkness evil. And probably the reason we think about that is because in Genesis 1-4, it said God, after he made the light, he said he saw that the light was good. Okay? So it's not, it's not anything we came up with. That's God says that light is good. So here's some uh, verses you may be familiar with. This is what Jesus Christ said about John the Baptist. He said that John the Baptist was a burning and a shining light. He's talking to the disciples or those that were gathered around him. John the Baptist, he was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. I mean, what a compliment to pay John the Baptist. So here's this, if I remember what I'm doing here. I got too much clay. Um, an interesting thing about light, Second Samuel, King David, as you get in up in years, this is where I'm dropping this well off to the side. And I'm going to move part of the clay over. And I'm going to take what's left and make a little vase out of it. He said this, uh, King David's going out into this battle. He's kind of getting up in years, and he almost gets killed. And afterwards, he, just at the last minute, one of his generals, I think, intervened and really saved King David's life. But it was a close call. And so uh, they sat the king down after that battle, and this is what they said to King David. He, they said, Thou shalt go out no more to battle with us, that thou quench not the light of Israel. Amen. Wow, what a compliment. They referred to King David as the light of the nation of Israel. Amen. That's a compliment. Uh, you know, Jesus Christ said, said this about the Apostle Paul. He was the light to the Gentiles. Yeah. Jesus Christ said this, talking about himself, really. He said, yet a little while is the light with you. While ye have light, 
believe in the light. He said, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth in me shall not abide in darkness. I like that verse because it gives us the definition of light. Simply put, light is the absence of darkness. And you could say just the opposite about darkness, it's the absence of light. The Bible has a lot to say about light. Those verses are probably fairly familiar with you for, for you, and there's a lot of others. Um, you know, the entrance of thy words giveth light. Uh, thy, wor- thy, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. There's all kinds of verses in the Bible. Um, here's some verses you're probably not too familiar with. It says in Proverbs 24, 20, because we associate light with good, right? But 24, 20 says this, the candle of the wicked shall be put out. Now you say, well, that's not saying light, that's saying a candle. Well, there's a verse uh, in another proverb that says the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. And you say, well, that says a lamp. Well, in the book of Job, it says the light of the wicked shall be put out. I mention those three verses because the only word that's different in those three verses is the word lamp, light, and candle. It's the blank of the wicked shall be put out. And the point I want to get to is that every creature that God has created at some point had some light in them. So that's why we want to be in uh, John chapter 1 here. The Gospel of John. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W. That's a name for the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, now if, you remember, if numbers mean much to you, and they do to God, and oftentimes the number 5 is the number of death, it's associated with death. Sometimes it's associated with grace, but usually it's because of the grace of God when he died on the cross for us. But uh, isn't it interesting, number 5, the number of death, it says, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to this earth and being rejected as the Messiah. Verse number six is the number of man. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, capital L, another name for the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that all men through him might believe. Verse eight, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Verse nine, that was the true light which lighteth Every man that cometh into the world. You see, the point here that I'm trying to make and the scriptures are making is the fact that the candle of the wicked shall be put out. The light of the wicked shall be put out. The lamp of the wicked shall be put out. But you and I, if we're saved, if we're born again, if we're children of God, we have a light in us that will never be put out. Turn to Proverbs 20. This is not me just saying this. Proverbs 20, verse 27. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 27, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Now, just because I'm a potter and and I 
I'm attracted to things that have to do with clay, especially when I'm reading my Bible. I found a really interesting teaching here. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to Ephesians real quick. We know that that candle inside of us is a spirit. Uh, Paul said we have this treasure in earthen vessels, and that treasure is the, the light, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Ephesians 4 in your New Testament. Verse 30, excuse me, yeah, Ephesians 4.30, the Bible says this, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Uh, If you've been in church for any length of time, you know that the very minute, the very second you get saved, God seals inside of you, uh, well, there's two ways to think about that, but you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption, Okay? So let's clarify that a little bit. Turn back to Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. Ephesians 1, 13, uh, verse 12 is talking about Christ. And then Ephesians 13, in whom ye also trusted, talking about someone that got saved, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And what is that? which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. What Paul is saying there is what I've just kind of paraphrased, is that the second you get saved, you're sealed. Now, whether that's a seal that God puts on you or whether he puts that Holy Spirit inside of you and somehow seals that in you, that's up for debate. But you're sealed with it. And the reason he does that, it's, it's a picture of his sincerity that he is going to fulfill the promises in this book. Amen, All right? If you've ever purchased a house, you've signed what they call an earnest money contract. What is that? It's a smaller contract that just says you are pledging to go through with the terms of the contract. Okay? Now, here's the really interesting teaching. Jeremiah 32. Old Testament... Not too far after the Psalms there, Jeremiah 32. While you're looking, I'm going to give you the context here. Jeremiah is an Old Testament prophet. The Lord tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I'm going to have your cousin come to you and offer to sell you a piece of property. And I want you to buy the property. Okay? And back in that time, you've got to realize that uh, these people were not allowed to sell the property the Lord had given them to anyone that was not a blood relative. But still, God told, and this was a blood relative, and God said, I want you to do the deal. It says there in verse 8, so Hanamiel, that's Jeremiah's cousin, came to me, I'm skipping some words, and it said, buy my field. That's all in verse 8 there somewhere. Verse 9, and I bought the field of Hanamiel, okay, down in verse 11. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open, and I gave the, per- the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch. So here's the, here's the deal. Uh, Hanamiel wants to sell a piece of property to Jeremiah. Jeremiah's going to buy it. They sign the contracts, and then they give this evidence, these things that they've signed, to Baruch. And it says in verse 13, And I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may continue many days. You know what this is? 
And you know what? I'll be honest with you. I didn't notice it just this very second. But it actually shows you both ways it could be sealed. Because they took the parchments that had some kind of a seal on them, they rolled them up, they put them in an earthen vessel, and then sealed that vessel. So it's given us both pictures. Because what they, what they did back in those times is they would make a tall, thin cylinder. Okay? Cross-section. And then they'd make a lid for this thing, and all that was, they'd, they'd make it right side up, but I'm going to show it upside down. They make another little cylinder that's kind of short, like this, okay? And it's a little bigger so that this will be the lid for that. And then what they do on this, the upper lip of the cylinder here, after they put the scrolls in there, is they might cover this lip with hot wax, drip some hot wax on it. And then they allow that wax to get soft again, and when they want to join the lid, the wax will dry and seal it. It actually is a moisture seal. It would actually be waterproof if this pottery was waterproof. So, and the whole point of this is, what a picture for us in the New Testament, the fact that we are sealed, maybe in both of those ways, but one of them, either God has put his stamp of approval, his seal, and or we are sealed. Somehow, that Holy Spirit, what he's saying is, it's not coming out of us. And that's the point of the message. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. The lamp of the wicked shall be put out. The light of the wicked shall be put out. But your lamp, representing that Holy Spirit, will never be put out. Get back to that in a minute. Have you ever thought, well, let's turn to Proverbs 31 first. Proverbs 31. I want to talk about the uh, virtuous woman. And I want to talk about her in light of the fact that if you're a child of God, you are part of the bride of Christ. And we can learn things about the virtuous woman because as a born-again believer, we will be married to the Lord Jesus Christ someday. Amen. So you get got to get over this gender thing. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that in the wrong way. I, I went into the library in Worcester today, and uh, I was looking all over for the bathroom. And I finally, because I'm looking for men, men, you know, no. The one I saw was for anybody, you know, and that big long sign didn't recognize, you know, instead of this is a men, you know, this big long sign, any gender, what a blah, 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 can use this bathroom. I didn't really think I read it, but anyway, where am I going here? Let's talk about the virtuous woman, little rabbit trail there. Um, what makes her a virtuous woman? This is the last 20 verses of chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs. Well, let's look at uh, verse 15. It says that she riseth also while it is yet night. Wow, she's getting up early. It's still dark out when she gets up in the morning. She's a hard worker. Uh, verse 16, she considereth the field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands. She planteth a vineyard. She is industrious. Look at verse 20. Uh, she stretcheth out her hand uh, to the poor. So she's also very generous with uh, what the Lord's given her. Verse 24, she maketh fine linen, selleth it. So another indication that she's very industrious. Uh, she looketh, verse 27, well to the ways of her household, eateth not the bread of idleness. So I'm assuming she rests, but she's not really idle, you know, in the way we think of being slothful or whatever. But the verse I really want you to see is verse 18. It says, she perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. Now, I really believe that this shows her diligence, okay? 
The fact that she's staying late into the evening, working, studying, maybe reading her Bible, I don't know what she's doing, but she's, she's industrious, according to all these passages we've read. And her candle goeth not out by night. Now, if she's got a wax candle like this, that means maybe sometimes she's got to trim the wick or whatever. And again, just because it says candle doesn't mean it's a wax candle, because there are things such as oil candles. And that's what I wanted to demonstrate this shape for. Because when I had my pottery studio for 35 years, thereabouts, uh, there was a time when I'd only had it about six or seven years, and I was thinking of closing down for a while and doing nothing but art shows. Because uh, I kind of maxed out my business at this little mall we were in. And you know what? Uh, unbeknownst to me, the Lord, uh, wanting me to be successful doing these art shows, said, well, you're going to need something to separate you from all these other potters. I can say that looking backward. I couldn't say that at the time. But right before I was about to make the decision to close my store and, and go out on the road and do art shows, he brought someone into my store who had a little vase like this. Okay? Just a little vase. Inside that vase was hanging a, a clay bead like this black clay bead, and it had a string in it. And inside of this vase, they put lamp oil. Okay? You hang the string down in there. The bead keeps it from falling through. And then you light that thing up here. It's an oil candle. Well, I made that one for that person. He wanted me to make a couple for him. I made a half a dozen more for my store. And I saw how quickly they sold. And so I started making some like this. Because when I started, I decided I'm closing the store. And I didn't put all this together, mind you. But this is just one of the little things I brought to the art show. I started doing them just a few months later. And I brought a bunch of these little things, and I noticed, boy, if I could light that thing, I'd sold twice as many of them. Of course, it was amidst all kinds of other pottery. And then uh, I noticed, of course, I'm doing these art shows outdoors in Florida. The wind's blowing. I can't keep the thing lit, unfortunately. Well, uh, so I started putting a, a shade. Actually, I wasn't making this thin. If I was smarter, I would have. I could have put a shade like that over there. Uh, mine were a little fatter, but I found a globe, something from a lamp fixture. And I just put that over there as a display thing. People wanted to buy the glass with the thing, even though I didn't make them to go together. So I decided, you know what? They want a glass to go with this thing. I will make a shape that goes with a glass like this. Amen. And I looked in, uh, <clears throat> in Corning, New York, uh, Corning Glass. They had a catalog. must have had uh, 200 different shapes of glass. Now, here's the deal. Even though I had this nice little thing like this, this really neat piece of glass, and I lit them up and kept it going and was selling these things hand over fist, in South Florida, when the wind gets blowing really fast, if I really wave my hand fast, I could make that go out. So just to keep them burning, I made a little disc with some holes in it, put that on there. Now people wanted that. I'm going, well, does this ever end? You know, I'm telling people, hey, you know, it took me just as long to make the disc as it took me to make the whole lamp. That's okay. Okay. So, you know, I, I think I can do better than that. I'll make something even a little fancier with holes in it. And now there is the product. I didn't invent this, and it didn't evolve. It developed. The Lord developed it through circumstances and people that he just sent across my path. Before long, when you saw my booth at an outdoor show, there was no other pottery. It was nothing but oil lamps. So I had this style with a smoked glass, an amber glass, a frosted glass, or a clear glass. But then we had this style with a glass like that. And we had some bigger ones that had two and three candles in them. And 
all kinds of glass, all just everything. It was just a sea of glass. Amen. Now, you know what we called our candles? We called them forever candles because we didn't use cotton as a wick. We used it fiberglass. The higher you put that fiberglass, the higher the flame gets. That's a good metaphor for your Christian walk right there. You know? The more light, the more that uh, fuel that you expose to the wick. And that's what I meant. I wanted to skip over this. Because if you've ever thought about just a regular wax candle, what makes it burn? You can pull this string out of there, that string won't burn. I mean, it might puff and go up like that or just sputter and go out. You can hold a, a candle, I mean, a, a match to this wax, it too will not burn. What's burning when you light a candle is the second you touch the flame of your match down near that wax on that string, immediately the wax softens, it begins to melt and actually starts to evaporate. And what you're burning is the vapor from the wax. That's why this oil that goes in here is called candle and lamp oil. All this is, this is wax is a petroleum product. This is just liquid wax. Okay? Amen. Now, I had these oil, I had these uh, fiberglass wicks. They never burn. They never get shorter because you can't make fiberglass burn at that temperature. You could melt it with a blowtorch, but you can't make it burn. So I called these forever candles because I could tell people the wick lasts forever. Now, I mentioned that to most of you that have been here all week, that when I was doing this, I was not surrendered. I had dozens, if not hundreds, of opportunities every day when people would come up to me and say, well, nothing lasts forever. I had all these signs all around everywhere. The wick lasts forever, the wick lasts forever. Oh, nothing lasts forever. What a wonderful opportunity I could tell them about eternal life. Because the fact of the matter is, if you don't know it already, you have an eternal soul. And your soul is going to spend eternity in one of two places. It's either heaven or hell, and there's no in-between ground. The Bible says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I mean, the bad news is we are all sinners, and God is holy and just. He can't have sin in his presence. As much as he would like to have us in his presence for eternity, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death. We have been separated from God at birth, really, because we were conceived in sin. Adam sinned. We are all descendants of Adam. And you say, it's just not fair. No, it's not, but that's the way it is. What's also not fair is that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on a cross. He was sinless. That wasn't fair either. But we can get in on that because the Bible says he died for our sins, that we wouldn't have to pay our own sin penalty. That's why no man cometh unto the Father but by me. But the whole deal and the hardest part for us human beings is that we just can't earn our way to heaven. We have to accept the free payment, the free gift of eternal life. It's a free gift. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It would be so easy if we could just pay for our salvation, because that's the way we're wired. Boy, let me earn $100. I'll earn $1,000. I'll earn $100,000 if that's what it takes to get into heaven. But it doesn't. There's, you cannot buy your way in. You cannot work your way in. Amen. You cannot earn your way in. You have to accept what God did for you. He sent his son to die for you. 
You can, and this is scary, because I made a profession of faith in my mid-20s and surrendered 30 years later to my shame. And I'll tell you what, I know I believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. I, I believed he was virgin born, born of a virgin, okay? I believed he, he was that little baby in, in, the, in the, the manger. I believed that as a young child that they, were, they marveled at his teaching and that he was a wise prophet for his 33 and a half years on planet Earth. Uh, I believe in the miracles that he did. I believe that Jesus Christ hung on that cross, he was crucified. I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And you can believe all those things. That still doesn't mean you're saved. Are you trusting on those things? Are you trusting what that book says that you have an eternal soul and that's the only way to get there? Because it is the most important question any human being has ever asked themselves. And if you haven't settled that before now, you know, none of my messages hardly apply to you. Your salvation is the beginning of you being able to bring your great Savior and your Creator the pleasure that He created you to bring Him. That's the beginning. And boy, He would love to do wonderful things through you uh, to please Him. It all begins with salvation. Okay. We're talking about the virtuous woman. She was diligent. She kept her candle fueled. And that brings us to this point. We talked about how a candle works. And this is where this gets really simple. I want to talk about three specific, very practical, day-to-day things that every human being needs. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's the three I want to talk about. And that's the fact that as a human being, we all need nourishment, we all need rest, and we all need exercise. I mean, you are not going to live very long or very well without those things. Now, unfortunately, the way we are, we always kind of think of the physical side of those things. And it's true. Uh, we need nourishment to live, and we get that through our food. We need sleep to stay alive. and I mean, we need rest, and we get that through our sleep primarily. And then we need exercise. As a child, you get that just through playing, and hopefully as an adult, you get that through working. And that's part of the problem with our culture these days, is even you're working, you're not getting a whole lot of exercise. So that's all very simple, that's all very obvious, but what's really more important, and that's why it's on the top, is it's not the physical, it's the spiritual that we should worry about. So how do we get our nourishment? Well, it's the words. And I purposely have this small W. We read in John there that the word, capital W, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the word of God. And you can't hardly separate the small W from the big W. He's the living word, you know? But that is not to diminish the importance of that small W. As a Bible believer, we tend to use a small W when we're talking about the written words of God because that's what God does. That's what he does in his Bible. He doesn't capitalize the word of God when you're talking about the written word. But that doesn't mean he's not magnifying it. As a matter of fact, we know that the name of Jesus is magnified above every name. There's coming a time when every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We know that. But this Bible says in Psalm 138 that thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. Peter, the apostle Peter, he spent three and a half years with the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw him 
heal the sick. He saw him do all kinds of miracles, feeding the 5,000, all the things that he did. He saw him raise the dead. Peter was with James and John and the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. When they saw the Lord Jesus Christ transfigured, they heard God the Father audibly say from heaven, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. After all of that, Peter said, we also have a more sure word of prophecy. He's saying, hey, I saw all of that, and this is a more sure word than all of that. You say, well, how could that be? It could be because Peter was smart enough to realize that even though he saw all those things, maybe 10, 15 years later, he might begin to question, did I really see that? Did I really experience that? I mean, if Jesus Christ showed up in your room tonight and spent 10 minutes with you and just spoke for 10 minutes, I mean, the next day, would you remember every single word he said to you? Probably not. I bet you wouldn't remember a week later, a month later. Six months later, you'd begin to wonder, did that really happen? Why do, you, why do I say that? Because look at the nation of Israel. Man, the God himself showed them miracle after miracle, parting the Red Sea, the ten plagues at Egypt, all that stuff, and years later, they just start worshiping idols. Not even years, sometimes weeks later. It is the words. Isaiah so that those words will not return void. They are powerful. The Bible says... Um, Talks about in Proverbs 20, 22, verses 20 and 21. Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge that I might make thee know the certainty, the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee? God's saying, listen, try out these words. Test their validity. Test their power. Test their counsel. And then use those very words, says in Thessalonians, wherefore comfort one another with these words. I, I, could, I got pages of stuff on the words. I'm not going to go into that tonight. They're not just for our spiritual nourishment. They are for our physical nourishment. Amen. The Bible says that they add length to your days and years to your life and health to your marrow and bones and all kinds of physical things. These are supernatural words. Amen. And if you like going and grabbing the pill from the medicine cabinet, you might hesitate and just pop a few of these in your eyes for a second. Because who knows? I'm I'm telling you, these things are supernaturally powerful and we don't take advantage of them. You You and I need to rest. We mentioned that, uh, talking about partaking of his divine nature of faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance. It's all about us resting and getting quiet with the Lord. Uh, We need to rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you resting in the Lord Jesus Christ? I got this poem that kind of brings this across. It says, I woke up early one morning and rushed right into my day. I had so much to accomplish, I didn't take time to pray. Problems just tumbled all about me, and heavier came each task. I had so much to accomplish. I asked God, why didn't you help me? He, pri- he replied, you did not ask. <laughs> I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on gray and bleak. 
I thought, God, why didn't you show me? He answered, you did not seek. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. But God gently and lovingly chided, my son, you did not knock. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering my day. I had so much to accomplish, I had to take time to pray. I hope you get that message. You got the same problems, the same 24 hours every day. The entrance of thy words giveth light. When you nourish the Spirit, gives light to the decisions that you have to make throughout the day. My questions to the children of God, the born-again believers in here, is how bright is your flame burning? Think about that. God wants you to be a veritable bonfire for him. Well, physically, we need exercise through work or play, but what about spiritually? The Bible says, exercise thyself unto godliness. That's about you getting out there and doing your ministry. I'm not going to have you turn there, but in John chapter 4, Jesus Christ is dealing with this woman at the well. And uh, that's the the Samaritan woman, I think. She's dealing with the woman at the well. Anyway, uh, a few verses earlier on there, I think it's in verse 8 or so, the disciples kind of leave Jesus. They go into the town to buy some meat. Um, After Christ is dealing with her for a while, they come back out there. Uh, and they say to Jesus, or they're saying to each other, has anyone given him meat to eat or something like that? And he kind of says, I have meat that ye know not of. My meat, he says, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And that's the point. If, you know, as a child of God, you have a ministry. Say, well, I'm not a salaried, you know, person in the church and I don't have an official position or title. It doesn't matter. If you're saved, you have a ministry. Now, your ministry may be part of your occupation, your vocation, your calling, Ephesians 4.1, but you've got something, some kind of ministry to do. And God wants you out there exercising that ministry. And that's what you're going to find, your real satisfaction, your real fulfillment, your real happiness. And that's what we all want. And then that peace of God, not only that peace of God, that peace with God. Turn to James chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, I really want you to see this verse. James chapter 3. James is writing about the power of the tongue. And I hope you'll feel relieved because I'm not going to talk about that at all. That requires at least one whole session. In James chapter 3, verse 5, he says this. The end of verse 5. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Now he's talking about the power of the tongue and he's likening it to a fire. But I just want to talk about the fire. Okay? Because fire is powerful. And behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Does anyone look closely at that verse? Do you see anything significant in your Bible about that verse? Verse 5. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Anybody see anything Unusual there? 
It has an exclamation point. Now, why is that unusual? It's unusual because it's the only exclamation point in this entire book, the book of James. You say, well, that's not a very big book. Well, guess what? The book before it's pretty big, the book of Hebrews, there's no exclamation points in Hebrews. And there's none in Philemon or Titus or 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy or 2 Thessalonians or 1 Thessalonians or Colossians or Philippians or Ephesians or Galatians. There is 11 books before this with no exclamation points. There's five books after us, albeit they're very short, with no exclamation points. That is the only one in 17 books of your Bible. And that is special. God is sparing with his exclamation points. Behold how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. You know, uh, it's been said that by its very nature, fire begets fire. Just a little flame like that next to something combustible will burst into flames. And then that flame could be a bigger flame and a bigger flame. And that's a wonderful metaphor for the people in this room tonight. Behold how great a matter a little fire can kill. There was a Scottish preacher back in around 1700 that felt really uh, burdened for the fact that no one from Scotland seemed to be concerned about foreign missions. That's a long time ago, but he still felt burdened about it to the point where he fasted and prayed for a few weeks before bringing a message to his church on the need for men to get stirred up and go out to the foreign field. He was very disappointed because after all that fasting and praying and and bringing a fairly powerful message, not one single adult came forward. There was a little boy, eight or nine years old, and I don't think the preacher lived lived long enough to see if that boy ever even surrendered to the field. Lo and behold, that message had an effect on him. He did end up on the foreign field. And he himself, after 20-some years, I believe, on the foreign field, decided to come back to Great Britain, near Scotland, where he had heard that message. And he, too, was going to try to recruit others to come to the foreign field. And he had, the Lord had given him a message to preach, Unto you, O men, I call, was the title of it. I think he got that from the book of Proverbs. But uh, he had this message. He, he was a, a missionary in Africa. He knew the, uh, the, the rigors and the hardships of Africa could probably only be endured by a man. So he pointed that message specifically at men. And wouldn't you know it, the week he was back in Great Britain and had the opportunity to preach this message, terrible blizzard that whole week. There were only a couple handfuls of people. There wasn't even a male in the room. He was very disappointed, but he, you know, he just trusted the Lord. Preach the message that God had given him. Unto you, O men, I call. And just poured out his heart. Went back to Africa, didn't know anything had happened. Unbeknownst to him, while he was preaching that message, there was a little boy, nine or ten, up in the choir loft, pumping the organ for the the lady playing the organ or whatever. That little boy, partially due to what he had preached, surrendered to the foreign field. Now, the first little boy you may have never heard of, his name is Robert Moffat. The second one is David Livingston. David Livingston, that second little boy that was up in that choir loft, he ended up marrying Robert Moffat's daughter. And of course, he, when he went to Africa, that opened up a flood of other missionaries. It was just at a time in history where the newspapers caught hold of what he was doing and all of that, and uh, it just stirred up hundreds and hundreds of other people to surrender. 
to the foreign field. Behold how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. If that Scottish preacher hadn't been obedient to the Lord's leading, if he hadn't had a fire in him, he might not have passed it on to that little boy who years later, even unbeknownst to him, passed it on to another little boy. And that eventually started a huge, huge fire. Turn to Matthew, chapter 5. Keep in mind now, we're talking about preparing for the judgment seat of Christ. When you get up there, you're going to have to give an account of your works. So the question is, Christian, are you nourishing that spirit with the words of God? Satiating them? You know, that's what he wants. He wants that hunger satisfied. Are you resting in the Lord Jesus Christ? getting the strength so that you can go out there and do the work of the ministry, Amen. even though it's not your strength, it's him. It still takes strength just to be available, just to make yourself get out of your comfort zone a little bit and, and allow yourself to be inconvenienced. That still takes some strength and energy, and for sure it takes you putting down your self-will. Amen. Matthew chapter 5. Beginning in verse 14, the Bible says, this is Christ speaking, he says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's it. This candle, that that light that comes from it, that's a picture of you being able to minister to others. And the stronger that candle is, it's just like Moses when he came down from Mount Sinai, when he was glowing. The more you're in the presence of God through his words, the stronger that flame's going to be. And people are going to see that, and it's going to attract them to you or repel you from them. But God wants, wants that flame to be burning brighter and brighter. Maybe so much that the person next to you gets caught on fire. Amen. I'm going to read two verses to you. In Romans 13, it says, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. In Ephesians 5, it says, Now are ye light in the world. Walk as children of light. That's the admonition. Walk as children of light. Just remember this. There's not enough darkness in all the world to put out the light of one small flame. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for just all that you do for us. You're so good to us. You're so gracious to us. We thank you for your mercy and and your long-suffering, and your loving kindness. Lord, I thank you for this church and the faithful uh, men and women that come here and the faithful leadership here as well. Thank you for all the people that have put in on all the hard work they've done this week just to make this meeting possible, Lord, because they love you and they care about you and what you 
desire for their lives. So Lord, I pray you bless them with ample opportunity for ministry, ample opportunity to bring you pleasure, and ample opportunity to glorify you, Father. I pray that all we say and do will exalt you and your precious Bible, Lord, and I ask it all for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. Pastor Wilcox.